Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. Come and visit us there so you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide hundreds of written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. If you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, you'll instantly gain access to all that information, which can be found nowhere else. And if you become a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get a chance to win our giveaways, like our astral superhero, Mad Mr. Mark, who just won last week's giveaway. Congratulations, Mark! This week, we're talking about the Ten of Cups, that card of rainbows and happy endings. Or, so it seems. The Ten of Cups is associated with the last decan of the zodiacal year, and this week's winner will get to choose any perfume they like from my Zodiac Perfume Collection. Will you choose the effervescent Aquarius perfume, Streams of Stars? Or will you choose the hidden jewel, a quiet scent for Virgos? Or shall it be the very naughty, clever beast? You can check all of them out at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. And while you're there, you can pick up a bottle or three of the Moon Dream, which is on sale throughout the month of June, so you can stock up for those cancer birthdays. And as always, you can sign up for the drawing at our site, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. In the meantime, we've got something to ask you. If you're loving Fortune's Wheelhouse and the fantastically geeky world of tarot we bring you each week, would you leave us a review on iTunes? You can write a couple sentences about why you dig this podcast, or you can just drop us five stars. We love that, too. Leaving a review is something free you can do, which really helps us and also helps other people find the show. Being a practitioner of the esoteric arts can be a lonely business, so help us find the others and build our community. If you're on Facebook, you can also connect with other listeners at Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy, which is a page moderated by astral superheroes Darren, Naya, and Maria. Even now, over 200 listeners are sharing their love of esoteric tarot and even planning a Fortune's Wheelhouse meetup for the fall. You could be one of them. And now, here's this week's episode. Welcome to the Ten of Cups, the Lord of Satiety, or Perfected Success. Those are two concepts that I guess are 
are a little bit different. I mean, satiety, we think of just being full, right? Yeah. Having had enough to eat, too much to eat almost. Whereas perfected success... Sounds like you can't get any better than that. But, you know, we talked about in the last card how the Nine of Cups is almost perfect. Mm -hmm. And the truth of everything is that perfection cannot be obtained. (laughs) Right, right. Perfection is always in the future or in the past. So what we have here is, in a way, an illusion. Yes. And that's something we're going to see a lot. Definitely. Throughout the cards. Um, And I think in general with the tens, you know, there is that quality of overripeness, of uh, slightly too much. Too much is never enough. That's like the theme (laughs) of this card. You know, so we have for Ten of Wands, we have oppression. For Ten of Cups, we have satiety. For Ten of Swords, we have ruin. And then for Ten of Discs, we have wealth. So there's always an emphasis in whatever the Ten is on how the excess allows you to move on to the next thing. The It's like the seed of yeah. the next thing. So this is the, you know, the last card of the numbered water cards. And mm-hmm. so in the scheme of progression, the work proper to water is complete and disturbance is due. That's <laughs> right. what I think Crowley right. said about yes, it. And did. so when I think of that, what comes next after the Ten of Cups, but the Ace of Swords. Yes. You know? Right. The introduction of the will. Right. The the slashing, the disturbance. We've already sort of dissolved. Everything has been made soluble at this point, and it's time to bring in some uh, clarity and sharpness. Yeah. And you mentioned illusion, and I think Mm -hmm. of the, the cups and the water element in this card, especially as relating to that quality of a dream within a dream. Yeah. That makes sense. With these um, Pisces cards in general, uh, we are always trying to sort of see what the relationship to dream might be because, you know, of course, the major arcanum for Pisces is the moon. And in the Eight of Cups, we sort of see you entering the dream state, perhaps. And then in the Nine of Cups, you are fully in it, completely unaware uh, that that uh, that that you're unconscious. And then in the Ten, uh, it's, it's, I guess, the hypnopompic state where you're sort of realizing that it was all a dream, the waking up in, uh, in Kansas moment. <laughs> and if you actually, if you think about it, if you think about it right away, the eight, nine, and 10 of cups, the eight and 10 are stage cards and the nine, you're actually on the stage. You're like in it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So it's kind of interesting that way. The, the astrological association for the, Ten of Cups is Mars ruling the final decan of Pisces. Yeah, so this is almost like the most Pisces of the Pisces cards because the sign mm-hmm. Pisces is mutable. It's the last mutable sign. It's the you know the last sign of the zodiac itself, and this is the last decan of the sign. So this is the very end of the zodiac right mm-hmm. here. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's the uh, the the double Mars. Effect. Yeah, it's the first of the two Marses. So we have we have this one. And then we have the restart at the Aries point with the two of wands. The, the problem, of course, is that we have seven planets times five, but then we have 36 decans. So 35, uh, if you repeat each planet five times, but then you have one extra. And what are you going to give that to? So the solution uh, that I guess the Golden Dawn 
arrived at was to double the Mars, one at the end of the zodiacal year. Yep, in the last degree of Pisces and then the first degree of Aries. Right. This might be right. a good time just to mention a little bit about that mm-hmm. that last or anoretic degree of Pisces, because I think it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I looked up the, the Sabian and Kosminski symbols. The Sabian symbol is the great stone face. Oh, and neat. that's kind of cool because, yeah. you know, it's like a marker at the end of the world. You know what yeah. I mean? This like, yeah. And it, it seems ancient, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of these stone faces. It's both an incarnation kind of thing because it's a face. But right. it's a, it's it's giant and stone and ancient. It's and fossilized part of the earth, kind of marking that endpoint, like the waypoint. Yeah. You know, the last a sort of a monument or a yeah. memorial. Yeah, to. exactly. Kosminski symbol is also very interesting in terms of this because it says a man trudging along a rough road, dragging a mass of heavy chains. A strong horse in a cart is standing idly near. So that's the heavy chains is all that accumulated karma of the Zodiac. Like we talked about the dustbin of the Zodiac and the great sea Pisces, the net collecting all. But then we have the restart standing idly by near the horse and cart ready to carry it as restart at the, at the Aries point. Yeah, that's great. I mean, because you have like also the Piscean imagery of the horse, because that's sort of Neptunian, you know, Poseidon type thing. Yep. Oceanic. Um, And then you have the chains of Mars, you know, dragging it forward. Yeah. So I thought those were really appropriate for Mm -hmm. that degree. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about that degree in particular, now this is just my own weird thing that I always think about with this decan and especially that last degree, it, it's I call it the well at the world's end. Are you yeah. familiar with that book? I've had this book on my shelf since I was a kid, and I, I every few years I reread it because it's hmm. fun. It's by William Morris. I will add it to my list. That sounds interesting. It's it is, and I wonder. It's my own personal musing that perhaps this William Morris may have been an esoteric student himself because I see tons of Kabbalistic themes in this story. Mm -hmm. So a little bit about William Morris. He was in the 1800s. He was a pre-Raphael. Oh, you mean the designer? Yeah, the designer William Morris. No kidding. He was also, he was a super interesting guy. He was not only a a textile designer, a stained glass designer, a wallpaper designer. He was very artistic. He started out as an artist. He was one of the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood um, painter. But he's also was a poet and he was a writer and he wrote several novels and he's not very well known, but he was the first fantasy writer, a supernatural writer in a way, because he's the first known writer to have written a fantasy story that was in a a world of his own creation, a created world. So he proceeded... He preceded Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, and they, they even lifted some stuff from his stories. Well, that's like, they both they both stole they card. both stole not stole wow. but like took themes from his stories and worked. Tolkien worked yeah. um, worked some. He he had a wizard named Gandalf. He had a horse named 
like Silverfax. For real? And, for real. He had a horse named Silverfax. Like and, Shadowfax, yeah. And it got changed yeah. to Shadowfax. So, and, and C.S. Lewis took some stuff of his, too, and kind of twisted it around. So he, huh. was the, he was the very first fantasy writer to create his own like alternate world in which the story was set. Because before that, most fantasy writers, yeah, they wrote fantasy, but they were really fantasies set in this world, yeah. not in some kind of alternate world. So, wow. and he also just, he's just a super interesting guy. Like another one of his things that he said is everything should be either useful or beautiful. And that kind right. of, that kind of fits into the modern day, you know, clear your clutter thing. <laughs> <laughs> clear out that dustbin That's of the Zodiac, right? right? So, yeah. and uh, his other thing that he said is no work done without pleasure is worth doing. <laughs> I can relate to that. Although sometimes right. you have to. But um, right. And then the other thing he said is to transform the world with beauty in any small way, then I am blessed, blessed, blessed. Mm, thrice so that, blessed. That was his goal to, to, you know, create things of beauty. And he certainly did. But mm-hmm. this particular story, The Well at the World's End, I mean, how evocative of a title is that? Yeah. And it's very Piscean and very evocative of this last degree of the Zodiac. And if you look at the storyline itself... It's about four sons. They're sons of a king. Mm-hmm. They want to go explore the world. Um, and the, he, they ask their father if they can have leave to, to go explore the world. And he says yes, and he lets the three elder ones go, but he keeps the youngest one at home because he says somebody has to be here and so that we have an heir still. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. keep the young one at home. And, and the young one, of course, is not very happy with that situation and secretly uh, leaves home. But the four sons leaving home, it makes me think of Malkut. Yeah. The, the, and this is a 10 card, right? Yeah. So, and, and then, so this youngest leaves home and his goal is to find the well at the world's end. That's his great quest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all these things happen. Well, first of all, he... He rescues a maiden from knights that were harassing her or something <laughs> and uh, meets her and then he goes on his way and he comes to the castle and it turns out to be the castle of the Lady of Abundance. Yeah. So here we go. This sounds like right. this card, right? Right. It and, uh, does. She's yeah. a great beauty and she's beautiful because she's been allowed to drink from the well. She's drank from the well, the, mm-hmm. the world's end. And uh, she has magical powers. So anyway, he... She's not at home when he gets to this castle, but he sees images of her and he realizes it was that woman that he saved. He reads this book on her that's in the castle with all about her and her has pictures of her and he becomes filled with desire, consumed with desire. He's just, you know, totally craving this woman and he falls asleep for the very weariness of longing Mm, he's having a mars attack yeah yeah (laughs) and yeah so so these themes of sleep and desire are so much a part of this card yeah so and then so he on his way he meets her again he rescue ends up in the story rescuing her multiple times and she (laughs) tells him about some other maiden ursula who's more suited for him (laughs) It's not me, it's you. <laughs> right, right, right. So there's a little bit of that. Uh, I don't know. 
less than perfect yeah. desire or less than perfect fulfillment. Yeah. And then I think he meets up with the Ursula at some point and they make their way to the sea. They're going they're going to the end of the sea because at the edge is the well at the world's end. So they end up making their way there. They get to drink from the well. They have all sorts of more battles, but at the end they come back to the castle of the king and they become king and queen. But the interesting thing is that the story is full of magic, but when you reach the end, the magic fades and it becomes the real world again. Right. Like, yes, yeah, so they become the king and queen in the castle. Yeah. Yeah, but the that magic is... kind of drains away mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. that whole story just makes me think of this card and especially that last degree. Yeah, I mean, the the fact that they come back to rule the kingdom is very Malkut. Yeah, isn't right it? There, like, there's right? so much Malkut yeah. in this story yeah. that it's just like, yeah. wow, and it's Pisces, too, so it's perfect right. for this card. Right, and the fact that they had to fight battles at the end of... Is, is Mars. Right? There's tons yeah. of battles. Yeah. Tons of battles yeah. and res- rescues of damsels in distress. <laughs> it's, it's very martial as well. So it's got yeah. all the themes of this card. Fascinating. I thought so, too. And he's a really interesting guy. I mm-hmm. suspect that he's... Yeah, some people have all the talent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's got something going on. Yeah. Yeah. He was probably a practitioner. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't find any evidence that he was, but it's, the evidence is in his work. Yeah. So here we have Fiery Mars and Watery Pisces. Um, and, you know, and that... That story had so many martial qualities, it sort of reminded me of all of the other martial cards we've seen, and there are more Mars cards than any other, Yeah, of because of the... Because of the doubling. Yep. We have um, dominion, ruin, valor, disappointment, and work. Um, so so this is the one that's, that approaches something pleasant the most, uh, but it's almost forced. You know, there's definitely a quality of grasping for the thing and making it happen that mm. takes away some of the sort of um, effortless pleasure. And But in your story, I mean, there there was a little bit of each of those. Yeah, it's got a little know. bit of it all. Yeah. And another thing that I think is an interesting theme with this moment at the end of the zodiacal year, uh, the, the mutable decan of the mutable sign, the most mutable, as you were saying, is this idea that, you know, we have fiery Mars and watery Pisces, and then just around the bend on the other side of the equinox, we're going to have fiery Mars and fiery Aries. So there's this, like, you know, this sort of moment of fire and water combating each other or, you know, combining into the rainbow, and then followed by the vision of pure fire just beyond. Yep. Yeah. The spark that starts things, the engine back up. Right. That's, the engine's just about winding down, and yep. Right. And for us here in New England... And then England, the piston fires. <laughs> this is mud season. This is where everything melts and makes a huge mess, followed by the increase in the sun's light finally starting in March 21st. It's when the sap runs. March is maple month. Sap rising. Yeah, the sap rising, um, which is, to me, a very, a very martial thing. Not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well played. Okay, so uh, associated majors, fascinating. The tower and the moon. There's a destructive quality about this final moment, I guess. Um, there has to be, because wherever you have Mars, you have disruption. Um, yeah, and it's almost like 
Mars is the antithesis of Pisces. You know, there's just so much contrast between Mars right. and Pisces. They, they're not compatible at all. Right. You know, right. Mars is pointed and driven and Pisces is ethereal and, and, and floating. <laughs> right. And it was interesting in the story you were talking about sort of the, the, the interactions of sleep and desire. He falls asleep from longing because in my experience, that doesn't happen until the longing has been satisfied. <laughs> yeah. He's just so weary. He's worn out yeah. from his longing. Yeah. His craving has exhausted him. Right. It's sort of like the, the, the last dregs running on fumes. There's so many ways that you can think of the tower and the moon combining because the tower is itself depicted on the moon. It's part of, mm. it's integral to the card in a way that, you know, we only see that also on the sun card in the major arcana, that particular tower in Rider-Waite-Smith. And, you know, and it's like the moon presides over these structures that need to be destroyed mm. at this moment, you know, um, I also think about that in the, um, you know, in the Tolkien cycle, which you were talking about the idea that there are these towers which represent people's conscious and unconscious aspirations that have to be dismantled or destroyed or transformed in some way. But it's also curious to me that you have these two very stressful cards creating this vision of beauty. I mean, stressful because in the, the sense that the moon picks up mm -hmm. whatever is in its environment. And if the tower is in right. its environment, it's going to be an emphasis on the nightmare, you know, phobic fear side of the moon. And it reminds me of the way that, for example, you can have two very fortunate seeming major arcana, like uh, the, the wheel of fortune and the lovers, and they combine into this difficult eight of swords card. Here we have two majors with much more of a difficult affect together and they combine into something beautiful. So there's always a balance. I wonder if part of the perfected success of this card has to do with the fact that the exaltation of Venus is in this decan. Yes. 27 Pisces, yep. correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And also the idea that, you know, in a 10, I often think of the a metaphor for the 10 as being like, you know, the fruit that has fallen to the ground and is like fallen apart and exposing the seed so it can be to grow again. And there has to be that destructive breaking of the exterior, breaking of the shell, the walnut or whatever it is to let the new thing grow. Yep. And you need that force of Mars in some way. And perhaps as well, you know, the um, the exaltation of Venus, the force of life, you know, awakening the exposed kernel to create something new. And the beauty of the dream, even if it is mm -hmm. a dream. Even if it is a dream. Well, you know, you were saying dream within a dream. That rem reminds me of the movie Inception, where basically they're going through layers of dream yeah. to introduce a kernel of something that will then later uh, eventuate in different actions in reality. Um, we've talked a lot about in these in these Pisces cards about the relationship of the moon and magic, the idea of going behind the scenes or into an, a, a further in layer to create an outer effect. That's cool. 
So we have Mars ruling the Deccan, Jupiter ruling the sign, and Venus in exaltation. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, there's something about that combination of fire and water and Venus that reminds me a little bit of the strength, strength or lust card. And we'll see some echoes of that in the Deccanic imagery, I think. And the art card, too. Yeah. Little. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It also reminds me, you know, the 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 lightning and the stress of the tower card uh, combined with the, you know, sort of tidal stormy possibilities inherent in the moon card. You know, the thunderstorm precedes the rainbow, right? You have to have that sort of you don't usually have rainbows after sort of like a mm, sort of wishy-washy drizzle kind of situation. It's most likely to happen if you have the complete catharsis. Saturation. Of the air, water, yeah. Sun shining through it, yeah. you know, big drama. Then you get a rainbow, right? <laughs> That's what happened on our wedding day, actually. Huge thunderstorm and then followed by gorgeous rainbow. Oh, awesome. How about, uh, yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit more about Malkut. Yeah, Yeah, Kabbalah. Uh, Malkut of hay, Malkut of Briah. Yeah, so the the virtue is discrimination. Mm -hmm. And the vice is avarice or inertia. Or avarice and inertia. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so the inertia that comes with satiety. Mm. Yeah. Um, Discrimination... By discrimination, what do they mean, do you think? I think it means discernment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to see what's false and what's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the emotional full knowledge, I guess, yeah. um, which is something that I certainly associate with the Knight or King of Cups. Although in this deck, and we're actually talking about the Queen of Wands, those two being closely related. Right, her, her shadow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got her today which is appropriate, I guess. Um, The Queen of Wands associated with the shadow decan of the Ten of Cups before she goes into the Two and Three of Wands for Aries. Mm -hmm. I actually love Malkut. It's just one thing uh, I read about, there was a quote in, hmm, I think Godwin's holistic encyclopedia and it Mm -hmm. says malkut as the physical world yet exalted above every head and sits on the throne of bina it's the end result of the divine impulse of manifestation and it's got some cool titles we mentioned Mm -hmm. um in the eight because we were talking about the universe card, mm-hmm. we mentioned Malkut's title as the Gate of Tears. Yes. But it's got so many titles, and they're all really cool. And a lot of them yeah. have to do with gates, probably because of the universe. The Gate, the Gate of Death, the Gate of the Shadow of Death, the Gate of Tears, the Gate of Justice, the Gate of Prayer, the Gate of the Daughter of the Mighty Ones, the Gate of the Garden of Eden. And then there's the inferior mother, Malka the queen, Kala the bride, and the virgin. Yes, yes. There are the, the three aspects of womanhood that are uh, associated with Malkut. You know, the Shekinah is the divine feminine form of God who dwells in Malkut, and she has three forms, the Kala, the Malka, and the Nukuv, or Nukuva. Um, but uh, but the idea is that the Shekinah has you know bride and uh, and mother and queen aspects. When on the on the Sabbath you welcome the Shekinah in at the moment of Havdalah separation, 
when the Sabbath is set off from the rest of the week. And, and, you know, and you, and you welcome her into your lives because she is the divine part of God that lives here on earth with us. Yeah. And so that is why you were mentioning her names, uh, in the context of Malkut, the gate of, well, lots of things. Yes. Yeah. I have a note here that when we're talking about Malkut of Bria, we can, we might be talking about pleasure and emotional fulfillment, but we might also be talking about debauchery and dissipation. And I don't know whether I got that out of book T or what. I think this card in particular, it's all according to dignity. Because yes. it can be perfected success and it can be, you know, not very good at all. It can be dissipation right. and delusion. Right. And that's something we see a lot of in the Deccan imagery. Uh, like in Agrippa, we see a man naked or a youth and nigh him or near him a beautiful maid whose head is adorned with flowers. So there's like this beautiful sexual pleasure thing happening. And that's Malkut, um, the maid adorned. Right, right. Welcoming the young maid or the bride, uh, the signification, rest, idleness, delight, fornication, and the embracings of women. Very male-centric view of things here. Um, but on the Picatrix imagery, a sad man full of evil thoughts thinking of deception and treachery, and before him is a woman with a donkey climbing atop her, and in her hand is a bird. <laughs> I mean, what's with the bird? I mean, this is like this fellini This is for off here. <laughs> but a bird in the hand beats a donkey in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is why y'all listen to Fortune's Wheel. <laughs> Have you ever seen, you know, the De- Liberty stars of the... Yeah, the Tower yeah, of the Stars yeah, Eternal. Yeah, it's got all those uh, funky Dickin images on it. Got, some of yeah. them are pretty nasty. And the, the Ten of Cups one's got the lady with the beast on it. And, you know, normally I feel great about showing Ten of Cups in any deck to any person. But this is like that Ten of Cups is the reason I do not take that deck out to play because it's just a little too rich. So the idea that you go too far with sensuality and uh, and you have these yeah. uh, you these t- you surreal take your desires too far or your appetites too too far yeah <laughs> yeah and you end up with these fellini orgies um, <laughs> so advancement and lying with women with a great appetite and of quiet and seeking rest so maybe afterwards <laughs> but that's you know there's right. the mars quality the sort of yeah. like desire out of control thing. Okay, so in the cardomantic material, we have a couple of different main meanings. We certainly have this idea of perfected success. Okay, so we picked up from the Picatrix this idea of pleasure, sexual pleasure and success, and the thing being followed through to the end. But we also have and treachery and great appetite and great appetite from Mars exactly in the cardomantic interpretations uh, so Atea says this signifies for you it's a sign of fortune and riches and approaching inheritance which will help you to marry the person you desire but whom your position didn't allow you to hope for and reversed it signifies a very strong quarrel a conflict. To a sailor, it predicts storms, hurricanes, uh, tempests, and wind. So we have, you know, the heavy weather of Mars and Pisces, that the thunderstorm that creates the rainbow in there. 
Um, but we also have the emotional storms as well, the idea that there can be consternation and difficulty along with success. In general, the Ten of Hearts is considered a very fortunate card, um, good fortune after difficulty, the rainbow after the thunderstorm. Uh, but another signification that we see in these older cards is the idea of the hometown, the village from which you came. And Malkut, exactly, a reference to Malkut, which we also will see in the Ten of Cups in Rider-Waite-Smith. So, so yeah, Atea actually, um, so there's, on the positive side, there's the meaning of the hometown, the country, the inheritance that you might receive, and on the negative side, the quarrels and the conflicts and the storms. I think it's interesting mm -hmm. uh, that you mentioned Atea and quarrels, and that reminded me of a footnote to this card in Liber Theta that says, this is not such a good card as stated because of boredom and quarreling arising therefrom and disgust from too much luxury in particular, drug habits, sodus excess, and revenge of nature. Right. Which kind of speaks both to the quarreling and the storms. It was the Golden Dawn also who came up with those significations of dissipation and debauchery going with it, um, which we also saw in the picture. Yeah, I think it also said something like, success and happiness as inspired from above, yet wantonness and lack of self-control, drug craving, and unreliability, but all according to dignity, which it is. And that makes sense, the... Um I don't know, the drug aspect of it with the sort of visions of Pisces, the alternate yeah. realities that right. and get with conjured the, with up. the moon card and Right. And the tower as Mars as desire. Yeah. Yeah. And you know the phrase lust of result? That yeah, kind of reminds exactly. me of that. The idea that, you know, when you're working magic, for you to lust too greatly after it spoils the it. thing will destroy it, will yep. collapse the illusion. Yep. Okay, so moving on to Rider Waite Smith uh, image. Um, we have the rainbow, which is uh, we talked about that sort of developing from the Nine of Cups light the arch, yeah. the arch, mo the arch, arch. arch motif that uh, has uh, creates this sort of um, semicircle or rainbow effect that was foreshadowed in the Nine, um, and also the idea that rainbows are elementally a combination of fire and water. Yeah, the sun the shining through the prism of a raindrop. In the picture, we see the two adults raising their arms in sort of a um, mirror reflection of the rainbow, as if they're beholding it and commenting on it in wonder and amazement. And Waite says, the two children dancing near them have not observed the prodigy, by which he means the rainbow, but are happy after their own manner. To me, that has something to do with the idea that in a 10, you are seeding something for the next generation, uh, that it carries on beyond that. And that the home scene in the background, which Waite also mentions, is perhaps a reference to Malkut. Yeah, the, the house or the, the cottage or the kind of a stand-in for the city you talked about. And also, I see Malkut in the fact that there are four beings on this card, two male in red and two female in blue. Yeah. That's kind of like the four letters of the divine name, the, the divided circle, the corded cross, the four directions, the four elements. Right. And it's, fire and water. The males are in red and the, the females are in blue. Not to mention that this is 
um, you know, the the ten Malkut, and we it could be pointing to just above on the tree the temperance rainbow mm-hmm. between Yesod and Tiferet. Yeah, another yeah. fire water combination card. Right. Yeah, you could even say, okay, so Malkut's down here, and then the 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 rainbow is the yep. Keshet. Yep. You know, the the yep. bow between Netzach Yesod Hod with the son of Tiferet or the light of Keter implied by the light, you know, sort of halo around the rainbow. There, and it's also a stage card. So as we mentioned, the eight and 10 of cups are stage cards and the nine of cups is not because you're right there in it. But I almost think that this guy could be the eight of cups guy, you know, in his red clothing, you know, having emerged on the other side of it and found the contentment he was seeking. It's perhaps. strange, even though their backs are to us because they're facing the rainbow, it almost looks like they're taking a bow. Yes. You know, the, yes, the yes, end yes. of the show. You know? I feel like, like we're backstage. We're watching them, right? Yeah. In the ma- place of magic. We're in the we're in the last decan here. It's the end of the show and they're taking a bow. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I've often thought of this card as like the final title card at an old movie that yeah. says the end, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. and they lived happily ever after. Sometimes in like the really old movies, yep. there's a corny sort of title card yeah. that says they lived yeah. happily ever after. You know, and there is a stage equality to that. You don't really know what happens afterwards. You're just sort of like, you know, it's the end of every fairy tale where it had to end somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it just sort of stops. And let's just assume that everyone's happy after that. But you don't really know. <laughs> you don't really know what happens. Right. Um, and I think that that's the illusion of the Ten of Cups, right? Yeah, the useful illusion, um, the false hope. So so that hope is, uh, which is something that Austin Coppock talks about in his interpretation of this Deccan, um, the idea that in 36 heirs of the Zodiac, the Hellenistic text, that was associated with Elpis, the spirit of demon of hope, uh, the last one remaining in Pandora's box after she set free all of the ills of the world. Um, and in Prometheus Bound, the story is that Prometheus gave us Elpis, gave us hope. Apparently, so the idea is that as mortals, we had the sense of our own death, our own demise, called moros olethros, the knowledge of doom. And it was too much for us to handle that despair, that reality. So Prometheus took that out of our souls and replaced it with Elpis, the false hope. Uh, the illusion that everything's going to be fine. And that is what allows us to carry on as human beings. It's It may not be real. It may be an illusion. The ending at the end of the movie may be a false one, but it's a, what allows us to carry on and, you know, and to continue this difficult existence. When you mentioned the, um, you know, the, the approaching doom, it brought back the Atlantis myth, you know, the... Mm-hmm the the city in its full glory and all its promise mm-hmm. that there's that foreshadowing of approaching doom by water the drowning the deluge that destroyed them yes because they did too much there you said there was a some kind of crystal yeah, working I, I, they, that they, they did. were you know they were working with magical things and working with crystals and they got more and more advanced and more and more powerful and they were at the height of their glory and they took it too far and they, they brought on the storm that 
that destroyed the city. That is a lesson in lust of result. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it yes. reminds me also of like that scene towards the end of The Lord of the Rings where they're about to go into the big battle and Pippin's on the balcony with Gandalf and Gandalf says, there was only ever a little hope. Yeah. And that's the thing that keeps people going that this entire you know many many battles of the lord of the rings were being fought in order to preserve the chance of frodo and sam making it to the cracks of doom to destroy the one ring etc nerding out there i think the biggest difference between the Waitsmith smith interpretation of the card and and crowley's interpretation of the card kind of can be summed up this is something that crowley said and he was actually talking about the nine of cups when he said this because the nine of cups is almost perfect yeah right but he was talking about the idea that perfection isn't really possible and he said a cottage in the country with roses all around <laughs> no not permanent no rest from the universe <laughs> the whole, and then he goes on to talk about the change is stability and stability is change. This is Crowley? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. really speaks more to me about this card, especially looking at the Waite Smith version of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Waite Smith, the Waite Smith card only seems to show the perfected success without the little bit of hint of, um, you know, destructiveness that is kind of inherent in the 10. Right. The right. only way it's shown is maybe that subtle way in that the rainbow itself is an ethereal and fading thing that doesn't last. Right. And this is something I'm always cautioning people, you know, in readings when they get this card, you know, that this is the vision of the happiness. It's not the thing itself. This is the thing that you have to have to carry on, but don't assume just because you see it that everything's going to be sunshine and roses. And rainbows. Yeah. yeah, sunshine and rainbows, exactly. Oh, and I forgot to say about the relationship of the tower to the Ten of Cups, the idea that at the end of a life cycle, you have to break the shell in order for the seed to be planted and its potential, the moon, to be realized. Yeah, the egg has to break for the chick to hatch. Yeah. Looking at the um, the figures falling from the tower they're red oh, yes. they're dressed in There's similar the same clothes yeah, yeah as the two adults there isn't that crazy isn't that crazy what is that story going on the two adults are, of the tower are the same as the two adults of the ten of cups does it mean that their vision was a false one and that this is the reality that we're all fallen and doomed? <laughs> or was it just a bad dream? Or was it just a bad dream? Right. Or is the card just a good dream? Right. Is it the tower as sex, you know, that leads to these children? Right. The miniatures of themselves. Yeah. yeah. You know, the tower is fertility and the moment of release. Well, that's really fascinating, though. I would love to hear people's thoughts about those two falling figures and their relationship to the figures in the Ten of Cups, because that's just super interesting. The figures, both adult and children in the Ten of Cups. Okay, shall we look at Thoth a little closer? Sure. So uh, here we have the Tilted Cups. Yep, they're in the Tree of Life formation. The work proper to water is complete and disturbance is due. Disturbance in the form of Mars. Or the Ace of Swords, which is the next card of the series of numbered cards so the sword suit in general is the disturbance right right foreshadowing that uh, we have of course a complete tree of life here uh, as we do in every 10 except for the 10 of wands in thoth yeah behind the tree of life the, the cups themselves there's this 
What is that? Kind of stylized lotus. Oh, that's what that See, is. It's a giant lotus. The three top cups are, are yes. the, fl- the flower. And then, but it's also, if you look closely, it's also the glyph of Pisces. Combined with the glyph of Mars, I think can, can I see, see that it, um, it is. It's there. Can you point to and uh, Pisces has these two curves? Yes, this way. You so see those? throughout the bulk of the tree, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, I kind of can imagine that I see the glyph of Mars if you count the lotus itself as the circle, and okay. then the arrow coming down gotcha. below. Gotcha. The, yeah, the pointy yeah. part at the bottom card, right? As right. the stem of the lotus. So if you look at the, um, they, I think he says something Crowley does about spilling the water from the great lotus, and that that's the lotus we're talking and about. If you look at the 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 flower of the lotus, that's mm-hmm. enclosing the three supernals. And you can see if you look at the left and right, the pillar of force and form, the 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 side pillars that the cups get increasingly tilted yeah, as you go down the exactly. tree. Exactly, more and more unstable. At the top, they're like all, almost straight, yeah. and yeah, and then they. They tilt. And the middle pillar ones all remain stable. Stable, yeah. yeah. That yeah. makes total sense. Which makes total sense. Nice. And if you look at the so the streams of water that are coming down from the central uppermost cup, mm-hmm. there's five of them, which could be a Mars reference. Yes. Yes, that's right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. thing that I notice is if you look at the cups themselves, they're shaped like the glyph of Aries. Yes. Which again the ram's bring, brings horns. in brings in Mars. Yes. What is on the cups? I um, think it's just metallic decoration, kind of yeah, kind of like a, a border. Fa- yeah, a faceted yeah. border. Yeah. If you look at um my Rosetta card for this, my cups are similar shape, mm-hmm. but they're actual ram's heads with fishes stuffed in their mouths. <laughs> nice. So it brings in, you yeah, know, ram Pisces, and fish. Pisces, Mars, and the idea of your <laughs> mouth is stuffed. You're, you're, you're full. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, these uh, faceted borders or whatever they are, they they are Malkutian to me. They kind of have repetitions have cro- of four. They have the cross too, yeah. like the four, the quartered, it's actually a quartered rectangle, but Still, it's quartered. Yeah. So the whole Mars theme here, I think he also describes it as the gross, violent, and disruptive force, which inevitably attacks any supposed perfection. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he also said something about this. Is He called it the morbid hunger which springs from surfeit, craving <laughs> of a drug addict. Wow. And he also said, and as it is written, until a dart strike through his liver... And that reminded me of the Prometheus story. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And after he talks about until a dart strike through his liver, he says, uh, perfect success, yet one discovers after getting all that one wanted that no, that they no longer want it and now they must pay. Be careful what you wish for. Yes. That's one yeah. of the mottos of this card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also it reminds me what you were saying about the sort of drug aspects of it. It's, you know, I was thinking of your, you know, your card, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment with the opium poppy and also the idea of pipe dreams, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, 
pipe meaning I think the opium opium pipe, pipe but, the illusion you know, of... the thing that the rainbows that you're chasing if you have an addiction you know the perfect vision that that is what keeps you coming back you can never quite yeah. reach it and you're always craving for more and the more you chase it the greater the destruction yeah the greater the addiction the greater the addiction which is something that we picked up in those Picatrix images of people following their addictions to their logical conclusion. Another thing he said about this card that applies is said he called it the final agony of descent into illusion, which renders necessary the completion of the circle by awakening the eld of the all father. Oh, the eld of the all father. Yeah. But that okay, reminded me yeah. of the end of the zodiac and the restart, you know, right. at the at the right. Aries point in a way. That's a reference to the family romance where the uh, princess has to travel up the tree wake up the king become the queen yeah and uh yeah yeah it speaks of mm -hmm. this as the ending of a cycle um in terms of the way the thoth card picks up on the thoth major is we have a really strong connection to the mars card i think just Definitely. color wise yep yeah it's there's a heck of a lot of mars in that card yeah I don't see a whole lot of connection to the moon. The only thing I see that is possible moon connection is you look at that water, it's it's a white water, like a milky mm, water. Yeah. Which kind of makes me think lunar. Yeah, maybe the drops of blood on the moon card have a sort of connection to this card as well. Okay, so on to your Ten of Cups and your poppy card, which I always love, the uh, idea that there's um, you're drugging uh, yourself in a sense yeah so the, the queen of wands is the poppies are come from the moon card because in my moon card she's holding a poppy pod the oh, the yeah. figurehead of the ship is holding a poppy pod in her claw her oh, her crab claw there yeah um so that element is from the moon card and um also the water in the ten of cups is again that pattern of the dream waves of sleep from the moon card. So the poppy pod, you know, everyone knows that poppies can be, they're associated with Morpheus, the god of sleep. They're associated with a, a oblivion and addiction, but they're also associated with beauty and success. Mm, you know, right. so yeah. it's got, it's got both of those things, both of which yeah. are themes of this card. Yes. And then there's the, you know, the idea that, you know, on the, in Flanders, the way the red poppies sprang up after World War One, after all the blood of the soldiers had been spilled. So there's that connection with blood Mars and death and, and, war, and war. wars. Yeah. Martial yeah. themes. Yep. Yeah. And then there's also poppies in the Wizard of Oz. Poppies will Putting make to them sleep. sleep. <laughs> exactly. Right. Now, is the streams on your card, is that the, the latex of the poppy, the milk yeah, of the poppy? Yeah, that's the milk of the poppy, poppy running mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. um, so, right. you know, the way poppies and opioid drugs work, they release endorphins, which make you feel good. Mm -hmm. But it's so easy to go from feeling great in that perfection to it being too much. And, right. And there's a line that gets crossed at some point. Right. And the way that it shifts your baseline for pleasure so that in time you require the more hit just to more. feel normal. Yeah. 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 And then you'll see the... Um, and in the Queen of Wands, you see this, the griffin and the poppy and the poppy pod over her head. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the idea that 
that that's her downfall. <laughs> yeah, that's her, her shadow. And right. it's funny, like, going back to what Crowley said about until a dart strike through his liver. Well, mm-hmm. the liver is the organ of the body that processes excess in drugs and right. to- toxins. So there's another, right. there's another reference. Ultimately, there's something that's, you know, the desire for connection gone kind of to an exponential degree to the point that you've lost the boundaries in this sort of collective unconscious fantasy and that you need the piercing clarity of the two of wands, either the ace of swords or the two of wands to, to restart, to restart it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah, you need both. So then um, from the tower card, there's the the griffin. So if you look at my tower card, one of the creatures circling the tower, the circling the mouth of hell is a, is a griffin. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so that griffin is guarding the pile of poppies. And the, uh, the griffin is kind of like a com- combination creature, combination of uh, eagle and lion. So if you think of the eagle as Scorpio and the lion as, it's kind of fire and water you know leo the lion and scorpio the eagle so again that's another fire water thing and you know griffins are often associated both with guarding treasure and they they have some association with satan as well Hmm. um and he's carrying a poppy in his beak and poppies another thing about poppies is they're associated with demeter because when she was despairing of her daughter's abduction she was offered poppies to make her sleep and forget her her oh, despair did she accept them i think so yeah hmm. so there's that the, the griffins guarding this this heap this heap of poppies and you know poppies mm-hmm. have to do with both eternal sleep death and it made me think of the end of the zodiac like we were talking about yeah and the poppies themselves are stacked in the tetractus kind of pyramid and to me that's a malkut symbol i actually have it on my world universe card mm-hmm. because there's all 10 okay mm-hmm. obviously it's a 10 but it's in a layer of four Mm-hmm. So there's the division of four. If you think of the in-between layers of four, there's seven. You know, there's seven layers if you count the yeah. poppy, the in-between, the poppy, the in-between. There's yeah. seven in all, which brings in all seven planets, kind of like the whole world, the whole universe. Right. And, you know, in Pythagorean tradition, the Tractus was about the emanation of the divine, which mm-hmm. is another Malkut idea. Yeah, and you can think of each layer as in itself a complete division of the universe. You know, you have the unity, you have the the yin and yang, you have the the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, sacred three in that way, and then you have the four yeah, elements the three and everything and the four that goes with it. the seven and the ten. Yeah. It's got the three, four, seven, and ten all in one, that symbol. Yeah. It's a really cool symbol. It is, yeah. And then kind of echoing that pyramid stack is the pyramid that the griffin is standing on. And that's also, in a sense, symbolic from the tower because just the idea of a tower, a pyramid, a structure yeah, like that. And so... The griffin almost completes the pyramid, yeah. It's in the kind of pyramid that's um, known as a ziggurat, which right. was called the, the Hill of Heaven. And at the top was paradise. It was the shrine to the gods. Or right. Reach, That's a, reaching heaven. Sumerian the, thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Mesopotamian. Yeah, yeah. Sumerian. Same thing, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Is this the same griffin that's on the lover's card? Nope. It's the same griffin that's on the tower card. Okay. If you look right. closely, gotcha. there's one just like this on the tower card. Okay. Neat. It's Neat. That one on the on the left. 
Right. He's just in a different posture, but it's the same type of type of creature. Yeah. So what do we have other animals on the tower card? Yeah, on the tower card there's an eagle, mm-hmm. there's a chimera, there's a, a dragon and a griffin. All kinds of things yeah, going there's on. All kinds yeah. Of stuff yeah. flying around there. And I love how you have like the pure red background the for Mars back there. Yeah, there's something about there's a story about the griffin too. I think um is it Paradise Lost where Beatrice rides off on a griffin? Does that, she? <laughs> that's supposed to represent I think was it either Satan or the Pope? <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. Same thing, whatever. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, are we We can do the colors. Oh, yes, colors. So Mm -hmm. the colors of the card, it's cool because the colors of Malkut are, there's four instead of one. Right. In all the other cards, we get one, but because of the the fourfold division, we get four colors. And these are the the four elemental colors. So there's a color for, you know, fire, water, air, and earth. So we get citrine, olive, russet, and black. If you think about it, a good way to envision what those colors look like combined is the skin of an apple, you know, yes. which is cool because mm-hmm. the apple as you know, the symbol of mm-hmm. the offering to Eve and the the fruit of the tree of knowledge. So yeah. it's kind of appropriate that the yeah. colors of Malkut are all contained in, That's cool. in the apple's skin. And then we get, of course, the colors from the related mages. So from the tower, we get the all red all the time channel. So Mm -hmm. we get scarlet red, Venetian red, and bright red, raid emerald or azure. Um, so you can, you can kind of see that bright red raid emerald or azure is in the water of, of my card. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, the ocean there is the, uh, in those colors. Um, and then from the moon card, as we've talked, we get crimson buff flecked silver white, light translucent pink brown, and stone. And all of those colors are in the card. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So um, so what's this card for you? I do get this sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it is about excess for sure, usually when it shows up. Excess in terms of food and drink, would you say? Well, it could be excess in terms of, of anything, of not knowing when to say no, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. It could be about, you know, overindulgence physically, but it could also be taking on too much, not drawing boundaries. Mm-hmm. But usually it's more about lack of clarity, you know, um, mm-hmm. delusion, not being awake enough to know what's appropriate. The illusion sort of taking over. Yeah, like a glut of something too, you know, mm-hmm. obviously with satiety, it, that does come up where there's no room for increase. But it also does come up sometimes as a, as a positive thing. It isn't always negative. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it comes up as, as indeed the perfected success. But whenever it does, I'm always aware, you know, that within the seed of that, there's that potential for it going too far or somehow not being what you wanted, yeah. even though you get it. It's all in context and it's all according to dignity, obviously, but... Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. it turn. I get it, and it's a really positive card. And other times, it's not. And it <laughs> right. depends on what the what the circumstances are. What the circumstances are. Yeah, I've I've had that as well. Both uh, both manifestations. Like sometimes I'll have it, and it's absolutely a vision of happiness. Like just the most recent time I got it was just a week ago exactly. And um, at the end of the day, 
we had a moment where it had been raining and we went outside whole family and we just started playing frisbee on the back lawn, which is something we never do. We never like have fun family times like that. But we did that and, you know, and our feet were wet you know, Pisces, and then it, the sun had come out. So yeah, fire you know, and water. there's the fire. And the four family figures. And the four family <laughs> figures. And I was like, whoa, where's the rainbow? You know, so <laughs> yeah. it was pretty exact. And, you know, I've also had that on other days when the kids have been just enjoying themselves. I've had it when Noah graduated from middle school and I was, you know, completely emotional, you know, <laughs> complete tears and like the end of this era you know, it was just middle school, but God knows how I'm going to handle uh, high school. But on the other hand, here's one that was really the destructive side of the Ten of Cups. I got it. Remember last year, I went to New York with the kids and my car got towed. Yeah, I remember so, you told me yeah, that story. <laughs> yeah, so that day, I remember I got Knight or Prince of Swords, which was Noah going to fencing, Aquarius. And, um, and I also got this Ten of Cups might have been reversed. I don't remember. But, you know, I was pursuing this vision. I had both kids with me. I was going to take Zoe to, like, do all this fun stuff. And so we were so consumed by this vision that we were not terribly careful when we parked. And I didn't, like, see the sign that said construction happening didn't here. Didn't see the boundary. Didn't see the boundary. And we had this great day. And we came back. Car's gone. And then I was like, no, it can't have been towed. But it was. And we found ourselves like on the west side of Manhattan, because that's where the tow pound is, like struggling through this headwind by the river, trying to retrieve the car. So so that's what what could happen, <laughs> you know, how bad it can be. Whenever I get Ten of Cups now, I'm always just like in the back of my mind, like, don't get too caught up in this. Yeah, Keep don't count on, on it. Yeah, don't get too <laughs> overexcited. You might something bad could happen. Oh, and you know what other little thing that happened on a Ten of Cups day? Remember, I designed that fabric for your Caloris Arcus yeah. deck. That was just uh, you know, it's just rainbows everywhere, yeah. right? It's just basically yeah. interlocked rainbows. Yeah, all that over was cool. It, which was kind of funny. All right, so I guess we can wrap it up. It's been a bit of a marathon, but it always is. So the themes that we've talked about in the Ten of Cups have been many and kind of contradictory, as is the nature of the card. Uh, we've talked about fiery Mars and watery Pisces, talked a lot about that, and the well at the world's end. The last degree of the Zodiac. And the exaltation of Venus, uh, the contrast of sleep and desire. Yeah, Morpheus, the god of sleep, and the poppy as both oblivion and beauty. The Shekinah dwelling in Malkut and her various forms as bride queen mother. No rest from the universe. <laughs> the uh, excess of appetite. Yeah, the morbid hunger that springs from a surfeit. Elpis versus Moros, the false hope counteracting the knowledge of doom. Prometheus and until the dart strike through his liver. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, the idea of uh, the homeland or the town from which the querent comes, Malkut, the kingdom. The idea of the perfection of Atlantis and the seed of destruction approaching. Mm -hmm. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> and lust of result. Uh, the backstage and the final bow, the rainbow uh, that follows the storm. The agony of the final descent into illusion. The dream within a dream. Or the pipe dream. The great lotus and the tilted cups. Whew. 
Okay, so that has been the Ten of Cups. Um, we hope it's helped you to get a little bit beyond the uh, what appears to be a very straightforward image in many of these cards and to read a little bit more into it so that you aren't necessarily disappointed when the cartoon vision of happiness does not turn out to be so simple. Uh, we will be back next week with the king or knight of cups, the peacock. Thanks for seeing us through to the end of the suit of cups, and we will see you next time. And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarocart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. That's also where you'll find the adorable new pocket-sized decks as well as signed and matted prints of her artwork. As for me, my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is coming out from Llewellyn and is available for pre-order online at Amazon Book Depository and more. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints, as well as my Zodiac perfumes. Perfumes for the next month's sun signs are always on sale at the year's lowest price. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash tarotista and if you'd like your very own fortunes wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug we have those too you can find them at our red bubble shop the address for that is redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop go on get yourself something you know you deserve it happy shopping to all you heroes of the astral plane we so appreciate your support.